Reader's Digest presents Hollywood 360 with your host, Carl Amari. I can see you right now in the kitchen bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? Then you won't be angry. I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. What do you do, Carl? Carl is a inventor slash entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm still looking for that home run, you know? I mean, <laughs> when I saw the iPod first time, I was like, yeah, I could have kicked myself. That was so hard on him. What's your name? Carl's my name. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger. Ready to move out. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents all things entertainment, including trivia contests, classic radio shows, movie reviews, celebrity interviews, and showbiz news. This hour on Hollywood 360, I'll present a classic radio detective adventure of Sherlock Holmes, starring Tom Conway and Nigel Bruce. But it's time now to play Beat the Host. In order to beat the host, either one or both of our two Hollywood 360 listener contestants must correctly answer more multiple-choice trivia questions about Joaquin Phoenix than me. Lisa Wolf is our moderator, right, Lisa? Yes, sir, Carl. Can you say hello to our two Hollywood 360 listener contestants? I sure can. We have George on the line from Tampa. Hi, George. You with us? Where's George? George. Where's Tampa? George. Uh-oh. All right. Say hi to Lois. All right, let's go to Lois. Are you, hi, Lois. Hi, how are you? Great. Lois is from Libertyville, so she's uh, not too far away. And we have George. Oh, oh no. we lost George. We that's lost okay. George, but that's you know okay. what? Maybe we can grab somebody else that's on the All line. All right, let's we'll start with Lois. Okay, Lois, you're up. Lois, hey. Joaquin Phoenix's first movie was, is it Ruskies, Space Camp, Inventing the Abbots, or Clay Pigeons? Uh, Ruskies. Oh, I'm sorry. Carl, do you know this one? Um, Clay Pigeons. Oh, darn. I'm sorry. Can we get Matt on the line, That's uh, what Mike? I was trying to. Should we try to get Matt? Yeah. Matt, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Hey, Matt. Welcome to the show. Thank you. All right, Matt. We're going to give you a question here. Okay. okay. <laughs> Matt, um, Joaquin Phoenix's first movie was what? Now, uh, you know what? I don't remember what everybody said. It was at Rusty. Reinventing the Abbot. Oh, darn it. It's Space Camp, guys. I'm so sorry. 1986. All right. All right. That's okay. Uh, Matt, here's No, your... no this is Lois. Okay. So, yeah, Matt's, well, Matt's question. I was going to... Yes. I gave that one to Lois. So this yes. was Matt's question. You're Don't right. Get... Sorry. Oh, wow. Yeah, Thanks, she gets Carl. so, so... But you're so bossy. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so he's Jeez. Me, you get bossy with me. I know. I think you get bossy with everyone. Matt, in what movie was Joaquin wrongfully convicted of murder? Mm. Was it To Die For, Ruskies, Clay Pigeons, or 8MM? 8MM? No, I'm so sorry. Carl? Um, what are the other three? Well, it's either Clay Pigeons, Ruskies, or To Die For. Clay Pigeons. Yes, you've got it. All Terrific. All right, I'm on the board. All right, Carl. In which movie does Joaquin say, It Vexes Me? Mm. Oh, I know. Gladiator. Yes, 1.5 for oh, you. Oh, man. Nice one. Nice. All right, Lois, here we go. 
In which movie did Joaquin's character go insane and have to be committed? Is it, do you know? Her, I think. Oh, uh, well, I'll give you the choices. Okay. It's Quills, To Die For, Return to Paradise, or Parenthood? I'm going to say Return to Paradise. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, Matt, do you know? Maybe Quills? Yes, it's Quills. Fantastic. All right, Matt. Okay, Matt, in which movie did he say the line, you name the vice, I name the price? Mm. Is it 8MM, Inventing the Abbots, The Yards, or Clay Pigeons? Matt, your question. Oh, I'm sorry, can you repeat it? Sure. Yeah, sure. It's 8MM, Inventing the Abbots, The Yards, or Clay Pigeons. You name the vice, I name the price. The Yards. I'm sorry. (laughs) Carl. The Abbots. Oh, darn. (laughs) Lois. Oh, what were they again? I'm sorry. So it's 8MM or Clay Pigeons. Pigeons. Oh, no, guys. Oh, no I'm so sorry. You were so close. Oh, these are tough. I know. It's yeah. tough. I know. These are very tough. I told you. Carl, in what movie was Joaquin's character an animal activist? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Go ahead. Clay Pigeons, Parenthood, Return to Paradise, The Yards. Clay Pigeons. <laughs> <So sorry. laughs> Just keep saying that. One of oh, it's an animal. There's an animal in the <laughs> title. I just... Okay, Lois, here's your chance. Oh, God. It's um, not clay pigeons, so it's parenthood. Return to paradise or the yards? Um, uh, the yards. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, did anybody see any of these movies? I didn't see any of these yes, movies. I did. Matt, okay. you know? They went straight to video, maybe. I don't know. I guess because it's Return to Paradise. All right, and he's got it. It's okay. <laughs> okay, Lois. For what magazine was Joaquin Phoenix featured on the cover in June 2000? Is it Maxim, People, GQ, or Esquire? (sighs) (laughs) GQ. Yes, she's got it. She's on the board. Yeah, Lois. All right. Matt, what movie had Joaquin sneaking around carrying a bag full of adult tapes? Is it Parenthood, Quills, Return to Paradise, or 8MM? 8MM. Oh, no. I'm sorry. Carl, I well, thought, do you know this I, one? I've said Clay Pigeon every single time, <laughs> so I'm probably... I didn't, I didn't, that wasn't one of oh, the choices. okay. <laughs> All right, so what's D? What is D? 8MM. He said 8MM? Uh, did he say 8MM? What did you say, Matt? <laughs> Are we drunk? <laughs> I said he said that one did already. We have, did we have too many martinis? He said it already. All You're right, not C. Whatever C it's is. It's not C. Okay. Lois, come on. This one we knew. It's it, Parenthood. It's Parenthood. He was a little boy. Oh, okay. Okay. Carl. All right, so the score right now is Matt has two, Lois has two, and Carl has 2.5. And this is your question, Carl. Joaquin okay. went to the gym and buffed up for which role? Is it Buffalo Soldiers, Space Camp, Return to Paradise, or The Yards? The Yards. Yes. Really? Oh, my God. <laughs> Total crazy. guess. All right. Final round. Uh, Quick round. No, we no. don't have time. All right, I'm then. sorry. 
But um, well, you know what? Let's do a real quick okay, round. It's, it's real a short quick. one. Okay, Gotta Lois. be fast. Lois, on which movie yep. set did Joaquin meet his future girlfriend, Liv Tyler? Was it Space Camp, The Yards, Quills, or Inventing the Abbots? <laughs> Nobody the saw Abbots. any she's of these movies. She's got it. Well, you picked Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. She's got Lisa it. Lisa made me uh, Okay, have, I did not yes. choose Joaquin. She's like, you have to use Joaquin Phoenix in this next one. <laughs> I said one. you shouldn't have used All him. All right, so Okay, Matt. Matt. Joaquin Phoenix co-starred with what actress in Walk the Line? Oh, yeah. Is it Kristen Bell, Reese Witherspoon, Kristen Wiig, or Julie Bowen? Reach with us. Yes, and he's got it. Carl, did you like the the? Why? Did you listen to those answers? I said Kristen Bell, Kristen Wiig, Julie Bowen. Oh, and very good. Okay, you like yeah. Those actresses? Yeah, I do like all of those actresses a lot. I have them as my screensavers. I know so, yeah, you do. All Carl, of them. Final they rotate. Question. I know yeah. you're going to know this one. What? Joaquin Phoenix is a spokesperson for what organization? I don't know. I know. Is it UNICEF, <laughs> Parkinson's Research, Make a Wish Foundation, or PETA? Uh, UNICEF. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> I don't know. Lois. Uh, Peter. Yes, yeah, she's got it. <laughs> okay, let's see what happened here. She just may have. She did. She just beat the host with that. Lois. Way to go, Lois. She has four. Matt has three, and Carl has three and a half. Oh That's man, fantastic. so uh, guess what? Lois has bragging rights. She beat the host. I'm so happy, Lois. And Matt did great too. And they both win fabulous prizes. Lisa, you didn't do that great of a job. But, what are you talking about? But they Clay did. Pigeons. I stunk. All right, uh, when we come back, it's the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Oh. Thanks for playing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari, brought to you by Reader's Digest. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's detective genius Sherlock Holmes came to NBC Radio in 1930, starring Richard Gordon. By 1939, Basil Rathbone was heard as Holmes, and Nigel Bruce was Dr. Watson. The duo were simultaneously starring in a popular series of Sherlock Holmes movies for Fox and later for Universal. By the end of the movie run in the mid-1940s, Rathbone was eager to separate himself from the radio show to avoid being typecast, and even though the show's sponsor, Petri Wines, offered him generous pay to continue, he decided to move on. Tom Conway took over, with Nigel Bruce continuing as Watson, but now receiving top billing. Tom Conway and Nigel Bruce were replaced in 1947 by John Stanley and Alfred Shirley for new sponsor, Clipper Craft Menswear. Others to portray Holmes and Watson over the radio run were George Shelton and Ian Martin and Ben Wright and Eric Snowden. In 1955, NBC signed heavyweights John Gielgud and Sir Ralph Richardson to appear as Holmes and Watson, but the radio, with radio fast giving way to television, Lisa, it only lasted one season. But we have an excellent episode for you now, starring Tom Conway, who was terrific as Holmes, and Nigel Bruce as Watson in The Clue of the Hungry Cat. There's another radio show with a cat in it. Right. All right, so October 26, 1946, as heard on ABC, here's part one of The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Kreml Hair Tonic and Kreml Shampoo present The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, starring Nigel Bruce as Dr. Watson and Tom Conway as Sherlock Holmes. Once again, it's time to drop in for a visit with our old friend, Dr. Watson, storyteller beyond compare and confidant of the immortal Sherlock Holmes. And here he is, waiting to greet us in his familiar study. Good evening, Dr. Watson. 
I must admit that on such a cold and foggy evening, your fireplace looks even more cheery than usual. And a very good evening to you, Mr. Bell. Here, come and sit down. Ah, this chair feels good. Thank you, Dr. Watson. Nasty night out. Yes, it certainly is. In weather like this, I find my old wound gives me an occasional twinge. Giselle Bullitt, you know. Souvenir of a border skirmish in Afghanistan. <laughs> Long before you were born, my boy. I've always been amazed, Dr. Watson, that with all the tight spots you and Sherlock Holmes found yourselves in, you were fortunate enough to escape with only one bullet wound. Yes, Holmes used to say that I was born to be hanged. <laughs> but I can remember more than one narrow escape. As a matter of fact, there's a souvenir of one of them right before you on the mantelpiece. On the mantelpiece? Oh, small pot of ivy, a framed photograph of you and Mr. Holmes, two sporting prints, and a small blue saucer. Not very exciting. You see, Mr. Bell, but you do not observe, as my friend Sherlock Holmes used to say. Oh. That small blue saucer from which an ordinary house cat was accustomed to eat its evening meal was the key that saved an innocent man from the shadow of the gallows and brought a fiendishly clever murderer to justice. You will find it among my notes under the heading of the clue of the hungry cat. Dr. Watson, I can hardly wait for the story. Well, Mr. Bell, it all began one day when Holmes and I, finding it a bit early for lunch as we walked down the Strand, turned into the old bailey, wondering if the jury had yet brought in the verdict in a sensational murder case which Holmes had been following in the papers with considerable interest. As we entered the courtroom, we heard the clerk of the court saying, Prisoner at the bar, you stand convicted of murder by the verdict of a jury of your peers. Have you anything to say before judgment is pronounced upon you? Only, my lord and gentlemen of the jury, that I am innocent of this crime. Silence in the court. Robert Saunders, you have been found guilty of the murder of Amanda Post. The sentence of this court is that you be taken to that place from whence you came, and that two weeks from today, on the 12th of October, you be hanged by the neck until you are dead. May the Lord have mercy on your soul. I must say that fellow Saunders had it coming to him, Holmes. Open and shut case if I ever heard one. I wonder, Watson. Oh, now really, Holmes, even you can't find anything to wonder about in the killing of that poor woman. Her husband was away, that fellow Saunders saw his chance, broke into the house, robbed Mr. Post's cash box, and evidently woke up Mrs. Post. He knew that she'd recognize him, so he made quite sure that she'd never testify by choking the poor woman to death. He then tried to burn the house down to conceal his crime. Huh. If you ask me, hanging's too good for him. The cash box is what intrigues me, Watson. And what, pray, is intriguing about the cash box? Why, that fellow son has admitted that he stole eight pounds out of Can it. Can you tell me, Watson, why any sane man and I heard no testimony adduced to prove that Sanders was insane, should steal the sum of eight pounds out of a cash box that contained 65. Well, let me see. Well, perhaps the uh, fellow was uh, suddenly frightened. Or the balance might have been in large notes that could have been traced. No way to the chops for me, the Harrods, Mr. Holmes. Oh, very good, sir. Sorry, Watson, but I can't accept your alternatives. Sanders' only defense, and I grant you that it was a feeble one, was that Mr. Post had owed him eight pounds and that that was his reason for taking only that sum. Oh, delicious. They, they do a chop here very, better than any place in London. <laughs> and I suppose you believe Saunders' story. Despite your evident amusement, I do. Well, all I can say, Holmes, is that 
Look, that uh, girl over there in the corner, the one who's crying into her handkerchief. Didn't we see her in the court just now? Not only did we see her, but as you should know from the drawings which have been published in every newspaper these last few days, she's the fiancée of the convicted man. I say, Holmes, where are you going? Come along, Watson. My curiosity is aroused. Good heavens. The last time your curiosity was aroused, I found myself in the Sahara Desert in the middle of July. I beg your pardon, Miss Caldwell. Oh. I couldn't help noticing your evident distress. And although I don't wish to hold out any false hopes, let me assure you that I share your belief that your fiancé has been convicted of a crime of which he is innocent. You really? Oh, leave me alone. You're another of those newspaper reporters. I assure you, my dear, that I'm not. My name is Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes? Oh, Mr. Holmes, you really believe that Bob is innocent? Your fiancé, Miss Caldwell, is a young man of good education and very evident intelligence. I cannot bring myself to believe that he stupidly and brutally killed Mrs. Post to conceal a minor theft. Oh, Mr. Holmes, I can't tell you what it means to me just to hear you say that. Wait, even Mr. Briggs, when he was defending Bob in that horrible courtroom, didn't speak as though he believed Bob's own story. But it's true. I know it's true. I, I haven't much money, Mr. Holmes. But if It's you're not like... a question of money, Miss Caldwell. I have an ingrained prejudice against seeing the innocent convicted. Suppose you come with Dr. Watson and myself while we pay a visit to the scene of the crime. As the next-door neighbor of the house where the tragedy occurred, Mrs. Roberts... Won't you tell us in your own words just what happened? Well, Mr. Holmes, although it was some time ago, it still uh, catches me all of a sudden when I think of it. Fair takes me aback, it does. Sometimes I come all over dizzy-like. Too much gin, if you ask me. Quiet, Watson. Mm -hmm. I can well believe it, Mrs. Roberts. But please, Mrs. Roberts, won't you tell Mr. Holmes what you remember? Well, that morning Mr. Post was going away on business to Brighton. Going to be gone a couple of days, he was. Now, around noontime, I happened to look out of me window. Not that I'm the type that's forever minding other people's business, you'll understand. And I seen him a-standing in the front door just as he was a-saying goodbye to her. Saying? But I understood from the evidence that Mrs. Post was stone deaf. When I say saying, I mean he was waving goodbye to her, like he always did when he went away. Did you see Mrs. Post wave back to him? Well, in a manner of speaking, yes. At least I seen the curtain move inside the front parlour window, so I guess she was a-waving to him from inside. Fairly conclusive, Holmes. The poor woman was alive when her husband left, and she was dead after the fire. No one else could possibly have killed her. Bob didn't. I don't care what you say. And after Mr. Post left, Mrs. Roberts, what happened then? Nothing. I was busy with me housework, frying up a nice bit of fish for me old man's supper I was, and I didn't notice nothing next door until about eight o'clock that evening. Eight o'clock? But the fire wasn't until midnight. Well, maybe it's silly of me to mention it. It wasn't anything important. When a murder has been committed, Mrs. Roberts, no fact is unimportant. Well, I never did. It was only at about eight o'clock, a cat Minnie came scratching and yowling around me back door. Hungry she was. Hmm. Most enlightening. Now, really, Holmes... Was that the cat's usual habit, Mrs. Roberts? No. 
Amanda Post was loony about that cat. Gave it its supper every night at six regular. Liver, she used to feed it at sixpence a pound. Now that's scandalous, if you ask me, with poor people starving. Yes, I see. Then what did you do? Well, I fed the cat, and then I went to bed. And me old man and I were as sound asleep as two blessed angels in paradise when we heard the fire engines. is going up like a tinderbox. If there's anyone in there, there's nothing we can do for them now. Mm-hmm. There you go, Lisa. That's where we're uh, taking a break. On music, yes! I love when we break on music. There was no door to slam, so we nah. had to go for the music. No, no, music. No music. <laughs> Alright, so that's the first portion of The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, October 26th. 1946, The Clue of the Hungry Cat. We'll get back to that with Tom Conway and Nigel Bruce. But here is another movie that Joaquin Phoenix uh, appeared in. He's not the main star, but he's like the co-star of this film. It's a 2000 action drama. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, Father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. Vengeance is mine, Lisa. Mine. Clay pigeons. (laughs) Clay pigeons. All right, if you know what movie that is, give us a call. Lisa Wolf will uh, will put you on the air and uh, chat with you. Right? That's fine. You will chat with the uh, listener if they call in. I like to chat. Toll free, 855-360-H360. The H is a four. Call now. Tell us what movie that was, and uh, you'll win some great prizes. CDs, DVDs, whatever my crabby brother decides to send you. And he's pretty generous. It all depends. But the Cubs did lose, so he's in a really bad mood. I mean, like, really bad mood. All right, so call us, toll-free, 855-360-H360. Lisa and I, Mike Costello, the whole gang, will be right back. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360, brought to you by Reader's Digest. All right, Lisa Wolf, this is the Hollywood 360 Radio Network. That is the great Adam West right there, and you're the great Lisa Wolf. That's true, Right, and I'm the... eh. Carl Amari. Amari. And uh, Mike is the great Mike Costella, and my brother is the crabby Vince Samari. So we all have a nickname. Right. Um, okay, so we played this movie clip. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance. In this life or the next. And his life's kind of messed up there, huh? It's, it's like a lot of bad stuff happened to him. There sounds Maybe like that's it. why he's so mean, you know? <laughs> that must <laughs> be it. Pretty yeah. mean. He kicks some butt in this Maybe movie, I'll tell you. Maybe that's why you're so mean. He even, like, beats up a lion in this movie. Is that why you're so mean, too? Your life is really messed up? A tiger or a lion? Up? I think it's a tiger. If your life been messed up? Pretty much, yeah. I've been, <laughs> I've been uh, beat from pillar to post, I'll tell you that. <laughs> 
Uh, let's check in with George out in Tampa, Florida. Hi, George. How are you? Oh, pretty good. How about yourself tonight? Terrific. We uh, Sorry we uh, missed you before. George, you were trying to play Beat the Host, right? Yeah, I lost a signal on my cell phone. Ah, that's okay. You know, uh, Horizon okay. or Verizon? <laughs> Horizon. <laughs> Verizon? No, at and a matter of fact, it's a lifelink phone. Oh, it's a lifelink. Okay, well, um, we're hearing you loud and clear now. So, so George, what movie is this? Gladiator. Yes, Gladiator. Great movie, and uh, Russell Crowe did a great job in that. Hey, George, that means you're a winner. Uh, we'll send you some fun prizes. Sound good? Oh, sounds excellent. Most definitely, and I enjoy y'all's program. Um, we thank you very much, George. Thanks so much. George likes the show, Lisa. George, didn't Carl just say that I was going to have a chance to talk to you? Um, oh, we Sorry. Lost. But, okay. uh, no, George, George knew the answer. He's sure Gladiator. Did. And, uh, this was an action drama from 2000. And Russell Crowe was the star of this. Uh, you probably knew that. <laughs> Thanks, Carl. Joaquin Phoenix is the bad guy. And, uh, did you know that Mel Gibson was offered the lead role, but turned it down because he was 43 years old at the time and he felt he was too old to play Maximus? Hey, I you know what? Sometimes we all have to turn things I, down. I don't think that um, he's too, at 43, he would have been too old to play Maximus. I mean, I'll bet you Russell Crowe wasn't that much younger than yeah, that. Probably not, no. And I think Mel Gibson would have been fabulous in this role. Although, you know, Crowe was just great in it, too. I think I would have done a good job I'm in this sure. role, I'm sure. I was too. thinking the same thing. I think I would have been great. Of course you, know, you would in have this been. role um, as a gluteus Maximus. <laughs> gluteus. <laughs> <laughs> right? I, I can play a gluteus Maximus. Better than anybody, Carl, probably, you have don't a you great think? Gluteus Thank Maximus. you so much, Lisa. I appreciate your noticing. <laughs> All right, let's get back to the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Oh, it was horrible hearing them say that, Mr. Holmes. We were still thinking the deaf as she was. Poor Mrs. Post had not been awakened by the crackle of the flames. And it wasn't until the next day, when the men from Scotland Yard were looking around the wreckage, that they told us that she'd been strangled in her bed before the fire ever started. Strangled by that smooth-spoken, murdering young devil, that Robert Sands. No, it isn't true. That's a lie. Bob couldn't... Control yourself, please, my dear Miss Caldwell. Thank you, Mrs. Roberts. I greatly appreciate the assistance you've given us. Good day. Oh, not at all, Mr. Holmes. It's been a pleasure, I'm sure. But, Mr. Holmes, all that woman's evidence came out in court. There's nothing there to help you set Robert free. Well, I'm afraid you're right. I'm dashed if I can make head or tail out of that stream of nonsense that woman spotted at us. Don't be too hasty, Watson. I should like to call your attention to the curious incident of Minnie's supper. But that night, the cat didn't get her supper. That was the curious incident. Will you put down that violin for a moment and pay attention? This is the third time since we got home that you've interrupted what I'm sure might prove a magnificent composition, my dear Watson. What's the matter now? Well, listen to this note. My dear Mr. Holmes, may I request your immediate presence at my home on a matter of the greatest possible importance? I enclose my check for 500 guineas. As a retainer, signed Jeffrey Brookfield. In brackets, the Earl of Brookfield. 500-guinea retainer. You, you calmly sit here on Baker Street, playing the violin. If you like, you may write. 
to Lord Brookfield and tell him that the paintings over which he's so worried have been sold by his son to provide jewels for the dancer with whom the young man is enamored. And uh, send his check back to him with my compliments. Come in. Yes, Mrs. Hudson, what is it? A gentleman to see Mr. Holmes, sir. A Mr. Post. Mr. Post? Oh, yes. Show him up, will you please? Yes, sir. You act as though you expected this full of post. When I put a ferret down a hole, Watson, I usually do so in the expectation of starting a rabbit. You mean those questions of yours, Mrs. Roberts, this afternoon? Our garrulous friend, Mrs. Roberts, is not the type to keep a visit from Sherlock Holmes a secret from the neighborhood. Mr. Post, Mr. Holmes. Good evening, Mr. Post. Uh, Mr. Sherlock Holmes? Quite. And this is my friend and colleague, Dr. Watson. Good evening, sir. Uh, Doctor. Uh, Won't you sit down? Uh, Thank you, thank you, Mr. Holmes. I prefer to stand. I, uh, I must confess I'm somewhat upset by what my former neighbor, Mrs. Roberts, told me this evening. Oh? What was that? Uh, That you and Dr. Watson and that young woman were asking questions this afternoon. There's nothing for you to be upset about, Mr. Post. But I confess that the unfortunate matter of your late wife's death had certain features which seemed to me odd, shall we say? But this morning, Sanders was found guilty and condemned to be hanged. I'm aware of that. But as long as you're here, Mr. Post, I'm sure you won't mind answering a question or two. Not at all. Though I fail to see Oh, do do sit down, Mr. Post. You're making me nervous, walking back and forth, back and forth. I'm sorry. I'm awfully sorry, Doctor. Ever since this horrible thing happened, I can't seem to sit still. Oh, yes, yes, of course. I'm so sorry. Uh, This fellow Sanders, a former employee of yours, wasn't he, Mr. Post? He was, he was. I sacked him. The fellow was always nosing about things that didn't concern him. And according to him, you still owed him eight pounds back wages. Oh, not a bit of truth to it. I'm sure there wasn't. After all, a matter of eight pounds could mean very little to you. You'll pardon my mentioning it, Mr. Post, but uh, you must be a man of considerable wealth now. If you mean since my wife's death, yes, I am. When I came to England from Australia a couple of years ago, all I had was a few hundred pounds and some business experience. I met and married my dear Amanda within the past year, Mr. Holmes, and a finer wife no man ever had. I can assure you that I'd give all the wealth she left me and a dozen times over... To have her back with me. Of course, of course. The sentiment does you credit, sir. Quite. And now that I've met you, Mr. Post, let me assure you that any doubts I may have had in the matter are entirely resolved. Ah, I'm glad to hear it, Mr. Holmes. You'll pardon my intrusion, but, well, you understand. Yes, indeed, sir, indeed. Uh, indeed. Good night, gentlemen. Uh, good night, sir. Good night, Mr. Post. Mm, pleasant fellow. Well, Holmes, I'm glad that your doubts have finally been set at rest. Yes, Any lingering doubts I may have had as to Sanders' innocence have now been completely removed. Huh? Sanders' innocence? Watson, does it occur to you that there's something about our friend Mr. Post that doesn't quite ring true? Oh, come, come, come home. Seemed to me a fine, upstanding fuller. But did you happen to notice his curious way of pacing up and down? Well, the poor man's overwrought. Probably can't keep still. It's natural enough being a doctor. Our sitting room, Watson, is 23 feet in length, with no obstructions in the area where Mr. Post chose to do his pacing. Yet he turned automatically again and again at each end of what I estimate to be an eight-foot walk. Eight foot? What are you driving at? Eight feet, Watson, happens to be exactly the length of a prison cell. And now, Dr. Watson, what did Sherlock Holmes do after he called your attention to the odd behavior of Mr. Holmes? Well, it was too late that night for us to do anything. Although Holmes did send off a cable to Australia asking for all available information on the mysterious Mr. Post. But, bright and early the next morning, Holmes and I set off in a handsome cab, almost before I'd finished my breakfast. 
Our destination being the fire brigade station nearest the late Mrs. Post's house. You're convinced the fire was incendiary, Captain? No, no question in my mind at all, Mr. Holmes. Blazing like a Guy Fawkes piece it was by the time we got there. After we finally had a wetted down, there was a smell of paraffin oil strong enough to choke you all over the place. So you very rightly sent for the police? Oh, I did that, sir, just as soon as I found that poor woman lying dead in her bed. What was left of it? Though I thought she died of suffocation. Well, the medical evidence that she'd been strangled before the fire started was clear enough. I know Dr. Richardson, a sound man, very sound. And it was you who found the cash box, Captain? Uh, Yes, Mr. Holmes. Being of stout metal, it hadn't come to no harm. Very hot fire like that sometimes is a freakish way of burning some things to a crisp and leaving others almost undamaged. The thing we often see in our business. I wish I could have inspected the house the morning after the fire. Watson, this shows you the disadvantage of attempting to follow a cold trail. Well, I'm sure I don't know what you expect to find. I don't know myself, but there must be something. Perhaps it won't do you any good, Mr. Holmes, because it's a regular ragbag collection of odds and ends. But most of the things from Mrs. Post's bedroom are right back there on that table in the corner. Ah. Those that weren't too badly burned. They would have been thrown out this morning. The police made us keep them until after the trial. Capital. Capital. You're welcome to take a look at them, sir. Phew. Smells more like a salvage sale. Curious looking collection. And what is that horrible looking object? Uh, some kind of a stuffed fish that was mounted on a plank. It says souvenir of Brighton. And over there is the poor woman's horsehair pillow. That's hard stuff to burn. What's this? Uh, oh, a Bible with its covers burned off. And an alarm clock that had been on the bureau. It was still running when we picked it up, as a matter of fact. Set for noon, I see. And this strange-looking thing turned out to be the late Mrs. Post's corset, uh, all that was left of it. Uh, Rather gruesome, I must say. Makes me think of the relics we'll all have to leave behind when we shuffle off this mortal coil, eh? Don't be morbid, Watson. Oh, and uh, here's some silver that was on the dresser. And these pieces of the pitcher and basin and the soap dish. I'm afraid that's the whole collection. Well, not much to be learnt from that, eh, Holmes? As I've told you on previous occasions, Watson, you see, but you do not observe. And what, may I ask, is to be observed from this insanitary and odorous collection? Only enough, I trust, to remove Robert Sanders from the shadow of the gallows and to substitute the estimable Mr. Post in his place. Good gracious me. Would you be good enough, Watson, to ring for Mrs. Hudson? All right, Holmes, if you say so. But how you expect a frightened post into confessing that he murdered his wife and then set the house on fire while he was 50 miles away in Brighton is, is beyond me. You are in possession of the same facts that I am, Watson. And since you know my methods, you should be able to reach the same conclusions. I must admit... Come in. Oh, you rang, Mr. Holmes? We're expecting a visitor, Mrs. Hudson... Mr. Post, who was here last night. Oh, I remember him, sir. A very nice gentleman. He tipped me a shilling on his way out. I have reason to think that he'll be here very shortly. Will you show him up as soon as he arrives? All right, sir. You were saying? I was about to say that the problem no longer lies in the solution of the crime. That, of course, is obvious to anyone. Well, yes, yes, of course. Certainly obvious. The difficulty is I haven't a shred of evidence. Therefore, the only possibility of justice being done is through forcing a confession from Mr. Post by suddenly facing him with an utterly unexpected reconstruction of what actually happened. 
I'd suggest, Watson, that you arm yourself with your service revolver. I have reason to think that Mr. Post may react violently. Really? Loaded and ready. But I do think, Holmes, that if you're so sure that Post is the murderer, you might at least tell the police. I very much doubt if Scotland Yard would admit itself completely in the wrong without proof, which, of course, I haven't got. No, Watson, I'm... Come in. Good evening, Mr. Holmes. Dr. Watson. Good evening. I received your note, Mr. Holmes, asking me to call on you at once on a matter of the greatest importance. I'm sorry to trouble you at this hour of night, Mr. Post, but there have been one or two puzzling questions in connection with your wife's death which have been bothering Dr. Watson and myself. But I thought you said last night that all your doubts had been resolved. They had, Mr. Post, but I didn't specify what doubts. I'm afraid you're being a bit cryptic. I must beg you, Mr. Holmes, to come to the point. Very well, Mr. Post. Let me present to you a reconstruction of what I can only term a highly ingenious crime. I'm listening. A certain man, who for the moment shall be nameless, meets and courts a wealthy woman, who, despite the handicap of her deafness, is still attractive, and marries her. Very interesting, Mr. Holmes. Then, ruthlessly and in cold blood, he strangles this poor, foolish, credulous woman, knowing that under her will he will inherit her fortune. I know what you're insinuating, and I... Then you admit... I, I admit nothing. There's no reason why I have to stay here and listen to you insult my wife's memory. Sit down, Mr. Post. What? You don't dare leave till you discover just how much I really do know. Very well, Mr. Holmes. And just how does this man do what you say he did without getting caught? After he's strangled her and his other preparations have been made, he stands in the front door of their house, ostensibly waving goodbye to the wife who already lies dead upon her bed. Holmes, Mrs. Roberts said that... An... The fond farewell is, answered Watson by a curtain that moves in one of the front windows. Who is there to know that the curtain has merely moved at the twitch of a string held in the murderer's hand? At, at least, Mr. Holmes, I must congratulate you on your ingenuity. But there were a couple of things the husband overlooked. First, Minnie, his wife's pet cat. Minnie comes to the back door at the usual hour. Her plaintive search, scratchings produce no result. And why? Because the wife who usually feeds Minnie already lies dead. That's what you meant, Holmes. Precisely, Watson after which the house is silent until midnight, when suddenly a fire breaks forth, a fire of such intensity as to consume almost all the evidence of the crime, and, most important of all, a fire which was meant to produce in the eye of the beholder an unshakable alibi for the husband, who at that moment was so far away. The fact that Sanders chose to break in that same night was sheer good luck for the murderer, for it gave the police a ready-made suspect. And now let me ask you one question, Mr. Holmes. Just how did the husband of whom you speak produce this conflagration while he was at least 50 miles away. Probably by means of some simple attachment connected to the alarm clock in his wife's room, which was said to go off at 12 midnight, Watson, not 12 noon, as you surmised. Good heavens, Holmes. An attachment which was later destroyed by the heat of the fire. Very pretty piece of fiction, Mr. Holmes. Of course, it would never stand up in a court of law. I'm not so sure, Mr. Post. Oh, I am. After all, it would just be your word against mine. Yes, the word of Sherlock Holmes against that of an ex-convict. Why, you... Two can't... of whose previous wives died in Australia under suspicious circumstances. I won't listen to any more. What's been said is sufficient. They'll never get me for those other two, nor for this one Then you'll do it, Miss. Yes, yes! I killed my wife, but you'll never see Look me... Look out, Holmes! Nice work, Watson. Is he badly hurt? Oh, I don't think so. Just a flesh wound in his shoulder. Knocked him out for a few minutes, that's all. <laughs> He'll live, I'm afraid. Watson... If you hadn't shot first... Oh, there's nothing, my dear fellow, nothing at all. Don't mention no fellow. Uh, uh, tell me, 
How did you ever deduce that whole story just from the fact that the cat didn't get her supper? I didn't, Watson. Oh, you said that... The the... incident of the cat's supper served to make me suspicious. I only became certain at the fire station when I saw the alarm clock. But, Holmes, I saw that alarm clock. Seemed like a perfectly ordinary clock to me. As I remarked before, Watson, you see but you do not observe. Why would a woman who is stone deaf have set an alarm clock to waken her at 12 o'clock? Well, of all the blind idiots... Quite. And uh, now, chap, ring for Mrs. Hudson, will you? I think perhaps the police might be interested in our friend, Mr. Post. Was Mr. Post convicted, Dr. Watson? Oh, he was, Mr. Bell, when he was confronted with the evidence in court, plus the cablegram that Holmes had received from Australia, telling about Post's rather murky past. He went all to pieces, broke down and confessed everything. Of course, Robert Sanders was immediately set free. I see. Tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure was suggested by an incident in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's story, The Boscombe Valley Mystery. Nigel Bruce appeared by permission of California Pictures. And Tom Conway through the courtesy of Eagle Lion Pictures. This is Joseph Bell speaking for Kremel Hair Tonic and Kremel Shampoo. And inviting you to be with us next week at this same time. When Dr. Watson will tell us about Sherlock Holmes' encounter with Professor Moriarty. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. There you have it, Lisa. That is the adventures of Sherlock Holmes with a clue of the Hungry Cat, starring Tom Conway and Nigel Bruce, from an original broadcast date of October 26, 1946, heard on ABC, Kremel Hair Tonic. I don't even want to know what that could be. Kremel Hair Tonic. Maybe you could use a dab. A little dab will do ya. A dab will do Some Kremel Hair Tonic. I, I could just see this as being like a slippery, slimy stuff that you put in your hair, and it made your hair greasy. Why did men want to make their hair greasy? I, I thought don't... you used it. I'm looking yeah. at your well, look hair. At, yeah, look at how greasy. <laughs> but I mean, seriously, why? You mean, no men you know, slick back? But maybe. why? That's disgusting. Well, <laughs> they, they used to do that. They used to put like a slimy back. and then slick it. Right. And uh, I think that's what that is. Maybe some people Kremel, appreciate that. Kremel. It doesn't even sound good. Kremel. Kremel. Oh, I got some Kremel hair tonic in my hair. So don't I look great? You do look great. Oh, look at my Kremel hair tonic. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to run your uh, fingers through my greasy hair? Hey, maybe that's a best kept secret. Can't I don't know. You know. All right, let's take a break. Then it's more here on Hollywood 360. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Brought to you by Reader's Digest. All right, in our next hour, we're going to rocket into interstellar space, Lisa, with X. Minus one. Want to take a ride with me? I'm already Into space? There. You know what? When I was in uh, college, don't do it again. Lisa, Please don't do did it. Did you know? Did you know? That did you, did to you be know an that I studied to be an astronaut? Did yes. you know that? I did know. Have that. any idea? I did. That's right. I took up space. Okay, and we'll also have our national movie critic here, Sarah Adamson. So stick around. <laughs> 